Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name's Chandra, and I'm your host, and I have a co-host here today. Her name is Katu. She is our brand new nine-week-old puppy. She's on the floor chewing either a baby carrot or her squeaker toy, so God only knows what might happen through this, but we'll do our best. Uh, also, I am going to be having a great conversation today with another fabulous guest as part of our podcast series of interviews with women who've made significant career change to work for themselves after the age of 40. And so I want to say a hello, Bron Roberts, how are you? Welcome. I'm, thank you, Chandra, and thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your amazing podcast. Bron, I couldn't not. When I saw what it is that you do, I thought, this sounds so fun and so important. <laughs> I need to find out about how this all came about. Um, so, Bron, because I, I, that's all I kind of, I only know the surface details of your story so far. Um, but let's give people that are listening some context. What is it that you kind of would regard that you used to do for work? And how do you describe what it is that you do now? So before I headed out on my own, I spent a decade as the administrator in an adult learning centre, or people would know them as a neighbourhood house, and I actually volunteered there for two years before that. So basically, I spent 12 years there. Wow. So, so my main role was in the office. I was, I used to call myself the office chick. Officially, <laughs> officially, I was the um, the administrator, and. That was only part-time. That was only three days a week. So on the other days, I ran a whole range of programs from introduction to computer programs to how to sell things on eBay programs. And when I first started there, I was also the primary carer for my mother. And when I got talking to people, someone said, oh, can you set up a wellbeing program just to teach people how you cope um, with the role of actually being a carer. So I started running wellbeing programs as well. Oh. Now, when my mother passed away, I uh, a friend called me and she said, I'm going to this, this program, this CAE program, and it's on laughter yoga. Will you come with me? And so I said, oh, okay, I've finally got a day free. I'll actually go with you to that. And as a result of that, I actually set up one of Australia's first laughter yoga classes at the house. Um, so that was basically my day job. I still had some spare time and the laughter yoga and the wellbeing classes actually caught the attention of some community organisations and they say, oh, can you come and speak with us? So I kind of did that. I guess people call it a side hustle. Yeah. I, I kind of set up this little thing where I'd go off on my days off or if I had some spare time and actually just run some workshops for for different local organisations. And today what I do is I still run those wellbeing workshops. I just transition full-time into them. Full-time into them? Yeah, yeah. So Amazing. Yeah, so I started out, I ran 
just the laughter yoga. I'm also a mindfulness and meditation teacher, so I ran mm-hmm. some of those programs as well. So I took those, I left the house and I, I decided I'd take that on full time. And basically my passion is behavioural and positive psychology. And what I realised is my focus is the implicit behaviours that we're born with. So I had kids, I would watch them, what they would do, things that they that were survival skills, other things that were thriving skills. And then we learn, I realised, well, we, we don't do those anymore. What if we actually brought those back? And that's what I'd done when I was caring for my mother. What mm-hmm. if we brought those back? So I started teaching those implicit, implicit skills combined with the laughter yoga and the mindfulness. So basically the programs I was running went everywhere from the absolute calm of a mindfulness program to these big in your face, my clients call them roller coaster rides, interactive workshops where I got people up and loud and doing things and having lots of fun. And that's what I do today, both those wow. sort of that whole gamut. So that's, yep, that's me. Are you a Gemini? No, I'm a Taurus. <laughs> a Taurus. So. I'm just thinking about the variety uh, that you've just described there and I guess the extremes of, as you said, from going from um, the real calm, fully present uh, experience of mindfulness practice to you know a laughing session uh is is kind of like two polar opposites but so important look they are but they're also different sides of the same coin right because when we're laughing and happy and joyous we're also really mindful so yeah good point i hadn't thought of it that way before yeah, so so to me, yeah, they seem like polar opposites, but it's kind of like different ends of the same spectrum to me is the yeah. way I look at it. Yeah. yeah. And so as you've said, it's that you were side-gigging with these different mm. things and then circumstances happen um, where one of your gigs, projects, went away and you mm. made the decision to go full-time into the laughter yoga and well-being courses yeah. At that point, how were you feeling about making that decision, going full time down that direction? Oh, that's such a question. Oh, I, I loved my job. Mm-hmm. I loved working at the community house. I loved, I loved everything about it. It was a really social job. People were basically nice. We were basically <laughs> helping them. Yeah. I I loved the training side of it, uh, you know, and it was the perfect job. Um, I started there. I was caring for my mum. I had little kids. It was school hours. It was I could fit in because it was only basically three days a week with the other training. If something came up with the kids or my mum, I could kind of step aside and say, no, I have to, I have to do this now. And look, I know, you know, three days a week in an office at a community house is not a big income, but with everything else combined, I was actually doing quite well. And I really, really loved being there. And But moving out became really, really easy because the way the work was going, there yeah. were some, some things that changed that mm-hmm. made it quite difficult. And what I started to do was go home and whinge. So right. instead of going... Yeah, I started to go home and I go, oh, this happened today. Some of the things were huge. Some of them were tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back, it went on for a lot longer than I thought it did. And I thought, this is not doing my family any good. Yeah, I need to make change. And then that one thing happened. The one thing I went home and I went, this happened today and I cannot go anymore. And I was absolutely in tears. I thought, oh, I've got this job. It's the only thing I know how to do. And it's a steady income. And my husband looked at me. And by that time, one daughter was at university 
in her second year at university. The other daughter was in year 12. We paid off our mortgage and my husband just looked at me and he said, oh, there's this person that runs these workshops. You should go and speak to her because she'll be able to help you through that. And he wrote a name on a piece of paper and slid across the table and it was my name. He said, <gasps> oh, he I'm said, in love with your husband right now. He said, you teach people this. And <sighs> I just had all these reasons and... And he just said, look, take a year off. So we sat down with the kids and he said, look, mum's going to, ta- oh, I'm going to cry now. Mum's going to take a gap year. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, there's, she's just going to go back to the to the community house. And the kids just looked at me and was like, oh, thank goodness we won't have to hear the stories anymore. You oh, know? Bron. Um, oh, I wish I could give you a big hug right now. <laughs> But what you've described there, there's so much about it that I, I'm sure that people listening will be able to relate to of getting to a point where you've loved a job for so long, but then various circumstances, either in your own situation or culturally at the organisation or whatever it might be, it gets to a point where all of a sudden it's having a really big impact on your well-being and you do get to that tipping point. And I think it's such a shame that as human beings we seem to wait until we get past that breaking point. Um, so I think that's one thing that uh, is is a bit of an early warning sign, I think, for if someone's listening and they're thinking, I'm not really loving what I'm doing anymore, don't do what I did and don't do what it sounds like Bron did, which was wait wait until it's gone too far before you start to really think about what you could do next. The other thing that I'm loving is um, how supportive your husband and your kids were about, I guess, supporting you through this transitional time. Yeah, look, and I'd like to think they were supportive or maybe they were just looking after their own backs, like, yeah. you know, we, we're I'm really not whinging anymore. Tired. Uh, you know, and but I didn't walk away straight away. I actually gave 10 weeks' notice. Right. Big mistake, but um, but I gave myself 10 weeks' notice. But in hindsight, that was probably one of the best things that I could do because it let me set things up so that when I left, I was virtually ready to hit the ground running on the new job which was mm-hmm. which was really brilliant you know I, I sat down and slammed out a website a really basic website and, and went I need a business card and I've got to do this and I contacted clients because I had been turning work down people would say oh can you come and do this and I go oh no that's on a day I've got to work I can't do that so how did you go with transitioning into it full time you said you put that website together really quickly and um how about the amount of work that you were getting and where your clients were coming from look it was it was remarkably easy a lot easier than I thought it had been because I'd worked in a community house I as I said I gave my my notice in 10 weeks early I thought I'm going to finish at the end of the year and then traditionally because it's a neighborhood learning center we didn't open up until February so I thought, right. I've got four whole months. I just want to have some work at the four month. I want to start off my year yeah. on the ground running, but I basically want to have Christmas off. Mm-hmm. And in the November, I got this bizarre phone call. It was this woman and she said, hi, I'm from the Meat and Livestock Association and we'd really like you to come and speak at our conference. And I thought, <laughs> really? I, you know, trying to keep it together and all professional. Yeah, like this happens now. all the time. Yeah, like, you know, meat and livestock and I work in a community learning centre. And she said, look, it's in uh, it's in Tamworth, uh, in a little town that's about an hour and a half drive out of Tamworth. It's in March. And we went through it all and I thought, 
this woman actually wants to fly me up to Tamworth and drive me out, put me up in a hotel for three days, and she wants me to speak to about 700 meat farmers, cattle farmers. And I just had this, that is the most bizarre thing. And I, and I just went, yeah, done, sold. She, I, I didn't have to think of a price. She told me what, she, what they were happy to pay me. And uh, I thought, well, I have, it's not even Christmas and I've got this, I've got this job to, to someone's taking me to Tamworth. And I also, during that time, I was doing my research and I found this organisation in America called the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humour. And oh, I started Who to, even knew there was such an association, honestly? I didn't. I wasn't even looking for them. I was looking up something on my basic interest as I said is behavioural psychology and mm -hmm. I was looking up something on behavioural psychology and they came into the feed and so I started reading about them and I emailed them and about 10 days later this huge package arrived in the post and I had been sent articles and information and collection details and there was this gorgeous letter and it was telling me about their conference in that was going to be held in Las Vegas uh, the following April and it had oh you know we have people in um in LA you would fly into LA and we could show you around LA and then we'll take you to Las Vegas and we'll take you to this conference and we'll do all these things and I just thought oh this is so surreal and but of course my brain went oh going to LA I had ne never been to the state <laughs> and I thought you know that is I I had one stamp in my passport my passport was about two years old I'd taken the kids to Malaysia for a holiday I thought I'm never going to be able to afford that so I, I just kind of put it on the back burner but I thought everything's actually kind of falling into place it and like it really was. I, by February my diary was pretty much full and and I had the benefit of being able to say to people well I can't do that because I'll be in Tamworth with the Meat and Livestock Association or I'm going you know and I actually told people oh no I can't do that I'm going to this conference in America not saying I'm going as a participant but I just thought oh, right. yes I'll be at this conference in America so and sounds very good for you to be saying I, that look I wondered if it was that, you know, things start off brilliantly and then fall off a cliff. I, I was waiting for whatever it was to drop. Yeah. Yeah, but out of the um, the Meat and Livestock Association was amazing. I could not believe in a shed there were almost 700, uh, 700 people and I thought, oh, this is not going to go down well. These people do not know what I do. Everyone was so into it. It was amazing. And out of that, I got invited to Mount Isa to a, another conference for remote schooling and then a couple of other things, something in Cairns, something in Brisbane. And I thought, this is bizarre. People are paying me to travel. Yeah, Brian, they are. I'm really curious to check in. So this, this phone call that came out of the blue from the yeah. meat and livestock people, did you ever find out, like, what the connection was? How did they discover you? Do you know any context around that? They wanted something fun. Yes. And she found my website. And at the community house, one of my early jobs was actually to put marketing material together. So I'd just slap a few things about what I did on this early website. And she just liked what she read. And when she rang me, she said, oh, I just connected with you. Yeah. You can do it. And she, and I said, but what if it was dreadful? And she said, 
so what? We had 20 other speakers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) She had contingency. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Because most people, when they make this sort of a transition, even if they've had a side gig, most people, one of the early struggles that they have is how are they going to get their clients? And it sounds like for you, I mean, you did do the, the bit of the hustle of just pulling a website together and obviously leverage a little bit of your marketing knowledge to make that effective. Um, but it's a real credit to you and what you did that it you were able to be found uh, for whatever she was searching for and that what you had put on your website actually connected and resonated with her. Yeah, I was I was stunned, and as I say, I just kept waiting for to wake up and say, "Oh, it was all a dream, and it was all made up." But yeah, it was it it was a good start. Yeah, a very good start for me. It 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 oh, you know, it sort of filled, but just yeah, it made me feel good. Excellent. And I guess what what I imagine, and this might not be true for you, is that it would have helped with uh, you feeling like. Well, actually, there's a bit of validation of the idea and the concept of you actually doing this as a full-time job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was very validating. Because I really, when I left, as I said, I loved that job, but I couldn't stay there any longer. And I knew that in leaving, I kept saying, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just go back. So this feeling that you had about, you know, waiting for something to fall off a cliff I think that speaks a lot to something that's common, which is that imposter syndrome that often people have. Is that what you're kind of meaning by that? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And look, it continued for such a long time. Literally yesterday, I received notification that I have um, just completed, just graduated from my Bachelor of Psychology. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, Oh, a little bit chuffed oldest undergrad on the planet but that's all right but so I'm constantly constantly striving to actually improve you know my qualifications and my things because I do think oh how am I qualified to do this there's some really amazing people out there and um but one of the things um I did actually go to that conference in America I headed off to America I did Mm -hmm. it was it was fabulous and but in America, they take what I do very seriously. So in Australia, what I was doing was a little bit, oh, that's a little bit strange. But in America, there were all these people and that's their field of research. And so I spent I spent a week, I've gone back every year since. Um, and that that's part of my validation is that, you know, these overseas this is actually businesses actually hire people to do this, yeah. to do what I do. And, and it's it's maintained its momentum here in Australia with me and then I've got the support from these fabulous people overseas you know if someone here says oh I think what should do is a bit like, that's okay I'll just I'll just ring my friend Heidi and we'll just have a chat and just remind me that what I'm doing has has purpose yes isn't that interesting about how the approach and regard for um, a profession or a service can be so different in different parts of the world yep yeah. Do you think that's changing here in Australia or what's your current view of the lay of the land? Look, if you'd asked me that um, in February, I would have said yeah, very, very slowly, but there's been massive changes in what organisations want 
and and what they're prepared to bring in Mm -hmm. um, over the past few months. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that for you the COVID-19 impact has that actually been a good thing for you, do you think, in some ways? Or how has that uh, impacted what you do and the way that you do it? I was really concerned at the start. Um, oh, I can't remember the date of March. I think it's the 20th of March was International Happiness Day. And I get a lot of workshops around that time. Mm-hmm. And I was completely booked out for four days, just different different workshops in the city, just going from one organisation to another in Melbourne where I live. And then COVID came down and a couple of clients rang and said, well, we can't have you in anymore, we need to cancel. But a couple said, can you do what you do online? Now, a lot of people had actually said to me, because I'd actually discussed this with other people, oh, I just want to do an online thing. And people who work in a similar field said, no, it won't work. What you do is really interactive and it's it's not going to work. And when these people asked me, part of my brain went, no, it doesn't work online. But my mouth happily said, look, let's give it a go. <laughs> give, give that a shot. Good on your and, mouth. <laughs> yeah, look, I raced out, bought a microphone for the computer, um, went, oh. I'm not sure about the camera, how it's all going to look, but I just gave it my best shot, jumped in the deep end, and that's worked really well. I've actually been quite busy with workshops, and the the most delightful bit is not only in Australia. Oh, really? Some of my friends from overseas have said, well, now we can actually get you in without having to pay for you to come to our country. So, yeah, it's how it's going to go when things start to open up again, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I am seeing a shift in what organisations want. And it's a shift in two directions. So they want things that are a little bit more basic because what – I shouldn't use the word basic, but that's – Introductory? No, it's more – the things I teach you are really simple. Things I teach, not you, but the things I teach are really simple behaviours and skills. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually developing a program based on how we can make tiny, tiny changes to actually have a really big impact and make big changes in our lives. And um, what I teach is is really quite basic stuff and people want that. But then when I was talking to some of my clients, it's sort of, but we want someone who's mental health trained, who's got the qualifications, someone who's mm-hmm. who's got that background. And I thought, I was looking at my husband, you know, saying, I don't know why I'm doing this psychology degree. It's driving me crazy. You know, it's third year. It's really hard. And, and then to have my clients say, oh, we want someone with this kind of background. I went, hey, check it out. Yeah. I just graduated with my psychology degree. So, yeah, things are changing. Um and in ways I would have never actually expected. So, Which, again, I think is very common for many women that sort of make this transition into working for themselves, starting their own business, that perhaps what they initially imagined is not actually how things unfold or when they start to look back from where they've come from, they start to realise, wow, I would have never have, have been able to envisage this. Uh, and even what I love is is that you're another example of a business where perhaps previously either your own belief or industry belief is that it can't be done online. And that yep. one of the positive things I think that has come out of COVID is that so many businesses are now more open to virtual working and virtual training. And yep. I think that does open up things globally so much more, as well as just more flexibility in terms of how different 
consultants can provide their work in and get the impact but just in a different way so I think it was just like this catalyst for so many people to uh, experience online as a different um, platform so yeah. I think it's interesting I think it was always coming it's just come much much faster mm-hmm than we would have anticipated before we would have been crossing all the T's and making sure that everything was perfect before we did it. And, you know, if I was going to do something online, I would have made sure I've, you know, seen someone to make sure I know how to do my makeup and (laughs) what colour accessories to wear and what my camera should be and how my lighting should be and all these kind of things. But when push came to shove, I just had to go online. and just do it. You just do it. And people are so relaxed about things these days I've had workshops you know with dogs attending and kids coming in and you know the other uh, yesterday I did a workshop and I had to run in next door and ask the gardener if he could just spend 25 minutes not actually running the leaf blower <laughs> right um, right where you really can hear it straight through the window yes I'm familiar yeah, with that yeah, one yeah yeah so people are a lot more so we've moved a lot further forward with what we can do online but we're also a lot more relaxed about it which is I think it's actually delightful. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's really good. It's a positive for sure mm-hmm. out of 2020. So, Bron, making this transition seems like it's been a bit of a dream for you. Like, have there actually been any challenges when you look back? There have been a lot of challenges. Okay. And a lot of them are just, they're down to me. I started out, I was actually really, really naive about you know, what? I thought, you know, I threw a website together and I just got these fabulous clients and then I decided, oh, everyone says you should have a mentor, a coach, mm-hmm. you know, and I got someone and they just started to, they virtually fed fed my fears because I, I just picked the wrong person and oh. I didn't know that you could just say you're the wrong coach for me walk away I just thought oh she's telling me all these things and I don't do them and I should be doing them and I should be doing this and I should be doing that so I actually changed some of the things I did one of the other problems was oh I could do this and I could do that and I could do that so I kept adding pages to my website right and, and really diluting what I was doing or trying to make one general thing trying to make it five specific things and mm-hmm. when it was actually better the way it was so oh and the other thing was pricing dare I tell me about pricing because this is a big one and it's it's something that I think is not a a one-time and done kind of thing so how did you approach your pricing look all the wrong everything (laughs) completely wrong um I kind of calculated, you know, because when we work, people go, oh, well, you run these workshops, so I'm going to pay you for an hour. And I have to go, well, no, you can't pay me for an hour because I've got to put your workshop together. Then I've got to actually get to your venue and I've got to do all these things. So you see me for an hour and I've put in 10 hours work. But my biggest problem was that um, when I grew up, my family wasn't particularly wealthy. Uh, there were a lot of things other kids had that I didn't have. I think in my 12 years of primary and secondary school, I went to one camp. Yeah. Um, you know, and my parents would, they always had, um, oh, you don't really need that or, oh, there's a reason that you can't go to that. And I didn't realise they were just they were just really good at reframing things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you get a bit older, when you're in your teens, you actually realise that's not actually Me true. true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think we're traveling so well. So when I went into business, I decided I'd set up a kind of social enterprise. So I'd build some clients and then that would support me to actually perhaps speak at a community group Mm -hmm. or do something like that. And then I had that, oh, this is really awkward because I'm charging that client on Monday for that and then I'm giving this client, this community client, the same thing the next day for a box of chocolates and a cup of tea. Yes. And it just it just didn't seem right. It was good training. I'll give you that. Yes. I'm just kind of going, okay, yes, it is. It's, it's time on your feet. It's refining the presentation and the structure, but not financially too savvy. No, and there's a term I always say to people, look, you might be a not-for-profit, but you're definitely a not-for-loss. <laughs> and um, then... Uh, someone said to me, oh, we had someone who does what you do at our conference. And I'd spoken at probably about 40 community groups of this particular organisation. And they said, oh, we had someone at our at our conference. Oh, I wish we'd had you. You know, you're really interactive and really bring everyone in. And this person, they were good, but they had a, a, you know, a program, a set format that they wanted to get through. And I thought, oh, okay, I didn't think much of it. And then I was talking to someone else a couple of weeks later and I said, oh, I heard you had this particular person at your conference. And they said, oh, yeah, look, we really wanted to have you. But because it was our conference, we thought that we should have a professional speaker. Oh, Bron. And my heart just dropped through my feet. But at about, look, about that same time, I was invited to do a workshop. And I thought I was charging quite a good fee. And I was invited to run a workshop for a company in the city and I was in town and they said, oh, we'll have a meeting and we'll talk about it. So I went and I met this gorgeous HR man. He was about 12 years old. (laughs) He was really sweet and he just looked at me and said, honey, you're too cheap. Oh, good on him. And I just looked at him and he said, and I said, I thought I was charging okay. He said, no, no, honey, you actually breached what we call the cheap line. And he wrote a number on a sheet of paper and gave it to me and it was more than four times what I was charging. And he said, don't tell anyone I told you, but that's what you should be charging me. And so I just redid the quote instantly. Mm-hmm. And he said, and you're still a lot less expensive than some of our other speakers. There were five speakers at that event. I had that lovely after lunch spot when everyone's gone. Yes. <laughs> and everyone zoomed up and going. Yeah. And and he sat sat with me and explained to me that there are three levels of speakers. It takes a lot to reach that top yes, level where top people tier. are charging mm-hmm. thousands of dollars for what they do. And then there's the inexpensive middle level and then there's the cheap level. And yeah. if you're cheap, people won't book you. They will stop booking you because you get what you pay for. Yeah. And how did that i mean i said i know that you said that you you know updated the quote straight away but how did you feel about moving your pricing real i struggled right it was really hard and the next day i was asked to give a quote for something and i thought i just sat there debating the numbers mm-hmm. and i thought no i'm going to put what he told me and if i don't get the job I, i'll know i'll just wipe that one off and i'll bring it down i'll bring it down a bit and i sent it off and the woman said, oh, we really want to have you, but that's outside our budget. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let's see if we can negotiate. And we did negotiate down, but it was still more than three times what I was charging. Yeah. So they felt like they were getting a deal yes. and you yep. were validating the fact that that price point is actually in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And that that was – but then I had a third struggle and I have to – there was a third – I love travel. 
Mm -hmm. I just love travel. So if you are prepared to take me to your conference and pay my airfares and give me accommodation and feed me, I will give you a discount on my face. Yes, right. <laughs> because it's like, okay, this is a junket and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. Oh, look, look. And I sometimes I, I, did, um, I did two trips with the Royal Flying Doctor New South Wales um, mental health trip. Mm -hmm. So I had two full weeks over two years uh, travelling around and I just sat there thinking, you cannot pay for this travel and these people are actually paying me to be here. This yeah. is... This is totally amazing. So that's my kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll discount those ones. <laughs> yes, prioritise those ones. So yeah. what do you see as what's going to be the next chapter for you with the business? Well, I'm currently working on that program I mentioned. So I'm putting together this, this program for small change because mm -hmm. I can actually see a market for that. I've started to mention it in some of my some of my workshops and people, oh, can you expand on that? And I've got a couple of clients who've said, can you put something something together with that? I um, want to start a community mindfulness class. I know there's a thousand out there, but it's just tearing at my heart that I want to do that because I do a lot of corporate mindfulness mm -hmm. and introduction to mindfulness. And part of my heart's is, I just want to do this community one. I also still run the Laughter Club. You do? Very long. I do. It's one of Australia's longest-running laughter clubs, and I'm so, I'd love to go to a garage sale on a Saturday morning, <laughs> but we won't. We won't talk about that. Look, and then the most exciting thing for me was early in this year, literally just before lockdown, I heard about this retreat in Fiji. And a couple of my friends said, oh, you've got to come to this retreat. Come to this retreat with us. And I thought, no, I can't fit it in. Um, look at the dates. I've actually, the comp it started in Fiji on the Saturday. I had exams, uni exams on the Friday. And I had a whole lot of other things. But I rang the woman who was running the retreat. We had a beautiful chat, but it, there was still something in my heart just going, no, it's not quite right. Mm -hmm. And about an hour after I got off the phone to her, I my phone rang and it was um, a friend of a family member and they said, look, your family member is in actual, quite a lot of trouble and can you hop in a plane in, on, in two hours? And I thought, mm, yep, yep, I can do that. So I went up for a couple of days and, you know, things were fine, um, but I actually stayed a week. And uh, then I came back and I thought, oh, now I've got exams. And then I had a, a call from the conference, the retreat lady again, and a call from my friend saying, you've got to come. And I booked in. I just went, I need a break now. Yeah. And I booked in and I went off to this retreat and it was totally amazing. And then I learned the woman who runs this, this retreat, she's actually a retreat specialist and she runs this thing called the retreat school. So I signed up for that and she teaches all the all the admin stuff of actually running a retreat. Yeah. But we've got together and... I, I'm hoping to actually speak at that retreat next year and also make connections with people who run retreats and um, speak at other people's retreats or even set up my own retreat and yeah, do that because, yeah. you know, I just keep coming back to the holidays, which is really sad to, 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 the, yeah, to the trips. Not so, at all. I think so that's, that's living the dream. When yeah, you can actually I've, combine those two, I've been at a lot of uh, a lot of events for a lot of companies, but there was just something about this one that was just, it was just beautiful, and I thought, no, this is actually the space I want to work in. Mm -hmm. 
so I'll do all my corporate stuff, but I want to know every year there's at least one or two of these things that I can actually do. So that's my big thing for the future. So home my workshops and the one or oh, two other things I've really got to get better at. I'm terrible at marketing. But it sounds like you're busy enough without too much marketing. Yeah, but or is there capacity for more? There's capacity for more. Plus, I'm always waiting to, for that cliff to appear, right. for the work to, to just stop because I do rely a lot on on word of mouth mm-hmm. and um, a lot on network connections. You know, one of the best things we can have, I like to call it a tribe, one of the best things that we can have is our network connections. A lot of my work comes out of workshops. There's a lot of turnover in industry. Yes. So one of my clients that I've been working with for a long time has actually been in 11 different businesses. And he he just keeps moving around because he's in HR. And um, but he just says, oh, we need a wellbeing program. We'll get this program in because he knows me. Yeah. And yeah. eventually that's going to dry up. So I, I need to be better at um better at the marketing I'm not very good on social media I need to be more out there I used to have quite a large newsletter you know there's a few things but yes there's some few exciting things I'm hoping will work out on the horizon yes and look I think Bron you know the things that you've mentioned around marketing your network and connections social media email marketing they're really the core of any business or most businesses so it's not unusual for them to be on the list of like, oh, I want to do either that for the first time or I want to do more of that. Uh, But also it's about linking to what your ideal business looks like for you and not to be, you know, falling into that trap of trying to follow somebody else's formula, as you mentioned earlier, that to sort of look at what are the things that are working, what are the things that would make it perfect for me regardless of what anybody else thinks and then you know pick the marketing strategies that are going to be most appropriate for you to achieve those outcomes that you're looking for yeah yeah Yeah. so Bron if someone's listening and they want to find out more about you and your various uh, workshops and speaking presentations that you do where do they go how do they find you the easiest way is through my website Mm -hmm. which is letslaugh.com and the socials, while there are of them, are actually listed on that. So that's probably the easiest way Great. to find them. And are all of your sessions that you run around laughter or no. they're broader now than just the, the laughter yoga? <laughs> they're, they're much broader. The company name actually comes from way back way back when when I first trained and I started every workshop saying you know okay let's laugh and when I look and then I had that client I'm running this side thing through the community house and someone said oh can you send us your ABM and I went oh god I don't have one I need a business name I need this so I just slammed that out so yeah it's much broader now I'm into the positive psychology I do still use the laughter because it's an innate behavior mm-hmm. that we have and look it's a lot of fun there's a lot of benefits with laughter so it's all there but it's more about the psychology of um of change mm-hmm. the psychology of the growth mindset yes. of well-being of things that we can actually do to find joy and my particular passion and it comes from um caring for my mother and i'll admit i probably wasn't a very good carer but Caring for my mother was 
actually finding moments of joy in the most difficult of times and the importance of celebration. I'm very big on even celebrating getting through the most difficult of things because of the way it actually changes our brain. Yeah, right. Yeah, the way it helps us. If we celebrate the hard things, the hard things are easier to do and we can grow through them. Mm. So that's my actual passion. But, yeah, there's always a lot of laughter, a lot of uh, a lot of joy and happiness because basically that's fun. It's, so, Bron, what would be any final thoughts or tips that you would have if someone is listening who perhaps is in a work situation where they've got an idea for something that they want to do maybe for themselves but they're a bit nervous or uncertain about if they can do it or if they should do it. Are there, are there any sort of words of advice or suggestions or tips that you'd have for them? Look, I have a thing and I call it yes, yes today, not yesterday. Um, and I always say, look, just weigh up all the all the reasons why you're doing one thing and all the reasons why you might want to do the other thing. Do your research work out where your heart is I actually always travel with my heart and believe that believe that the money will follow but look everybody's so different my thing is to actually sit down and work out where you want to be what you want to do yeah just and how you're going to get there what are your what are your barriers what are your obstacles and how you can actually get past those I was really lucky when I decided I had to make a change because I didn't have any money worries. I could just right. I could just step out and do it. But I know for a lot of people that is a very big thing. So it's about sitting down and actually working out where your heart is and what you want to do and and speaking to people, doing your research, talking to people, just and and yeah, just building up on what you want to do and get going for it. Yeah, nice words. And I think, you know, it links back to, as you said, the importance of those genuine network connections. Mm. <clears throat> Very that, important. That they and will be that first go-to potential audience for you just to say, hey, I've, I've got this idea or I've, I've been wondering about this. What do you think? And you want to do that and, and regard it as, you know, your idea is like this little potential baby. And so you don't want to just be telling everybody about it you want to choose the people that you think are going to be a positive objective voice to to help you see the upsides and consider the downsides so that you're not kind of going in with your blinkers on and thinking it's all going to be hearts and flowers because there are going to be challenges and you're going to want to know what they are and to be prepared to face them so it's not just you know, wanting every single person that you talk to to tell you, oh, that sounds great, do it tomorrow, but actually to start to test the waters of how do you even talk about this idea? What does someone genuinely think is um, good about it? What's a downfall? What are the other questions to consider? Researching, things like that. And it does take time. Generally, I think, you know, you've um, leveraged uh, some of your existing work into what you're now doing um, but even still there's a lot of work that has to be done to actually set up a whole new business yeah and we and we also have to be careful who we talk to mm-hmm. and remember that it's a bell curve that some people are going to tell you it's fantastic go for it just do it and other people are just going to tell you that you're, you're crazy and not 
and don't do it. And they're just actually, they have their own agendas. They're actually reflecting their own beliefs. Yeah. And it's about finding the people in the middle that are that are going to be objective about it and, and not just tell you what you want to hear or what mm-hmm. they think you need to hear, but actually, yeah, come on board with you and collaborate with you in in the reality of what's what's going on when I started business you know those first few months I just thought wow this I'm going to be like this is just amazing and it did start to settle off a bit and when I look back now I remember thinking oh it's all falling apart oh no Uh, and I look back now and I go I had gone from really great numbers but you know I should have been charging more yeah to, to pretty average things that I could cope with but I'd actually seen the drop off Mm-hmm. And I, I, it took me a long time to realise that that drop off was actually just just a correction, and and where it had gone down to was actually perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah, which again is around that financial side of things that you mentioned, where it is really important that you you know have a bit of savvy about you around mm. the numbers of of that knowing that most businesses are going to take some time to get some traction, to get some regular clients to get sales in and pricing right where there is going to be some sort of profit there. And so yeah. to not go into it expecting that you're going to pay yourself the same salary as before uh, in yeah. the first month and to have you know those plans in place around what are the financial buffers, what are the costs that you, know, you have to run your life and, yeah. and how are you going to cover those things whilst your business grows. And I think that's part of you know, being a savvy business owner is, is considering those things so that you're not putting unnecessary financial stress on yourself whilst you're trying to be creative and positive about building a new business. Yeah. And look, I look at some friends who've set up businesses and I think I was lucky because I didn't need bricks and mortar. I didn't need yeah. um, a whole lot of stock. It was just me yeah. and a, a bit of tech and, you know, just a website and a few things like that so I was actually really lucky on that front that I didn't have to think about those things and I had someone to support me if it all fell over and and I was having fun yes with what I was doing so there was a lot that I didn't actually have to think about but then I have family members who who do run their own bricks and mortar businesses and I look at that and I think I I don't know I I would think I would really struggle with dealing with those sort of things so so interesting that you say that Ron, because just today uh in the my private facebook group um, i posted a question in there about would you rather have a product-based business or a service-based business Hmm. and um one of the women who responded to that um said that she has a service-based business which she enjoys but she often thinks that a product-based business would be easier to sell yeah. And I think it's really interesting because I, I responded to her saying that, you know, this is common, but, you know, product-based businesses just have different kinds of challenges. Their, yeah. their um, speed to market is often a lot slower because they have to go through a whole process of product development and prototyping and testing and all that sort of thing. So yeah. there's just pros and cons. And I think it's more important that you uh, choose a business that actually suits you and that you are excited about and curious about wanting to build and develop, not just something that you think is going to be easy because I don't think any business is easy. I think they all have their um, inevitable challenges. So when you care enough about what you're doing, that's going to help give you the energy to 
uh, push through those challenges. Yeah. Yeah, and I've met people who say, no, I'm just going to go, I'm doing this business because I want to make a lot of money. And yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not that person. I'm pleased that you're that person because I'm sure the world needs that person, but I'm not actually that person. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I think it is, it's interesting, and, you know, we're all on our own um, journey and uh, looking at what is motivating you, I think is in- an interesting part of just, you know, getting to know yourself and making decisions from that place of what, as you said, what is it that you're wanting to be doing? Where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Bron, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation uh, for the interview for this podcast series today. I really appreciate it. We survived um, two puppy wees and uh, some meowing in the background. So it's a, <laughs> it's a true um, working from home, covid uh, reality is this podcast episode. <laughs> uh, look, thank you so much for inviting me, and oh, and just just answering the questions. It really made me just review and go. Oh, I just feel you know that little bit more passion for what I do. Going, oh, I've really had to sit down and think about things, and I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. And actually, a few people who've, who've been part of the interview series have shared that the process of, of doing the interview actually helped them to reflect back on their journey. That often we're so focused on, you know, either what's happening now or not happening now and what we're working towards as our next project or, or whatever, we, we forget how far we've come. And so I'm glad that um, a bonus of this podcast interview with you is that you, you know, can reignite that passion for what you're doing and remind yourself of how amazing your journey's already been, as well as providing great insights for uh, people that are listening about the different ways that they could potentially create a business that really works for them too. Yeah, it's it's been really good. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it was great chatting with you, Bron. Thank you. That's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But before you go, I just want to tell you about a great new free resource. If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the top four priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled experience and insights from my over five years in business, as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.